good evening. It is Fly Alyssa with Cockpits and Cocktails. Tonight we have myself and your other host, Fly Girl Kelly, and we have a extra special guest tonight. We have Lindsay Costabil, I think. Yes. Ish. <laughs> Embarrassing. I don't know if it's Lindsay or Lindsay or... It's just Lindsay. It's just the same as any other Lindsay, but yeah. it's just a different spelling. Yeah. Your mom got creative. She wanted to make sure that I found nothing with my name on it. So yeah. my okay. my middle name, it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Yours, Alyssa, is the same way. Like you have the two L's, the two S's. And not an I. And it's just like, mom, you really screwed me over here. I just got Alyssa... And Beth. And I was like, oh, wait, that's like Elizabeth. That's a whole story in itself. At least um, I don't get called Kelly all the time, you know? That's oh, all right. <laughs> I have a first time. last name. People will be like, oh, how's Kelly? And I'm like, who? who? Yeah. Aren't you friends with her? No. I don't know what Kelly Lindsay Costibla. <laughs> yeah. However you want to say it. Excited that you were able to do this. I didn't expect you to be able to do it so soon. Because I thought, well, sounded like. When I saw you at Sun and Fun, you needed some time really to, to be able to do it, but I'm glad it worked out. How have you guys been after since after Sun and Fun? Busy. Busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we're all in the same boat. We're like all like in a million different things. So yeah. it's not just like, oh, we go to a nine to five and like, here we go. You know, it's just, yeah. Yeah. I hear but you on that one. You know, I mean, it's fun. It's just, it's sometimes just juggling everything is hard sometimes. I don't know where I'm supposed to be half the time. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on tonight. I'm super excited to dive into all that you do. Uh, you are not a nine to five kind of girl, so I can't wait to actually figure out what you do. I know. Nine to five is boring. I, I can't do that. I can't do the same thing every day. Same. I think yeah. we are all in the same boat here. We just like have these thought bubbles like going off at all times and and we're not no women. I, I think we are yes women and mm -hmm. in all the good ways. But yes, um, I agree. Right. It's right. important to do that and to be a, a, a adaptive. What would you say like your actual title is? I feel like it's consulting or aviation marketing or something mm -hmm. of that nature. What would your official title be? The way that I like to explain what I what I do or or my title. So I'm the, the principal consultant for my company, which is called Fund Av Consulting. Some people like to say Fund AV, but it's Fund Av Consulting. So we put the fun back in aviation and fundraising, and we predominantly focus on aviation companies and aviation related and STEM related nonprofits. So we do focus on marketing, media strategies. We do a lot of business development, corporate relations type roles, uh, a lot of leadership level fundraising, capital campaigns, but we are very unique in that our company transitions a lot of our work to doing film and production. Um, we actually do a lot with unmanned vehicles so we're not just on the fixed wing or helicopter side. We actually just partnered with Leonardo Company helping to launch their new training academy up in uh, Northeast Philadelphia. So we have a big focus on the business and corporate aviation sector too. So we're, we're really trying to get to the nuts and bolts of what really built aviation, which is general aviation and, and maintaining that side of the industry, but also making sure that we safeguard it. So there's a lot of times that we touch on the legislative work. So we work closely with the National Business Aviation Association among 
other aviation groups. And as you all know, ladies, we are of the alphabet industry. So the FAA to the EAA to the AOPA <laughs> to the WAI. So, you know. All the acronyms. <laughs> One thing I hate about aviation, I hate it, acronyms. Like, can we just say what we mean here, ladies? Like, can we just do it? Right. Right. I, yeah. I look at the IFR stuff and I'm like, hello, could you just talk about what we're talking about here? No, yeah. I don't want letters. Okay. Where's yeah. that aviation for dummies book just to go through all the acronyms? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I did just find like when I was tabbing my far aim that there is an acronym chart. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Does anybody, so people... Does anybody actually read it? <laughs> <laughs> we do push it for sure. But yeah, it is. We are we are the acronym industry. That's it, it, it's so funny. Yeah. So, so you have to like dial it back sometimes when you start speaking that terminology to other people. Like, what are you saying? That was one of the most intimidating parts when I first started flight training, actually. It was like they were just throwing acronyms at me like I was just supposed to know what they were. I don't what these are. We have our own like alphabet, right? So it's like, <laughs> what are we talking about again? Like somebody, somebody will be like, oh, what about this? You know, blah, blah, blah. Every sector of our industry has their own acronyms too. Like if you're on the maintenance repair overhaul side to yeah. you know, obviously business corporate aviation sector to, I mean, the, all these different areas of aviation even have their own language. I have to admit that I had absolutely no idea what you did. <laughs> if I had to guess. <laughs> like at every event that I wanted to be at. You see her like in, you know, the tower and then you see her flying with Aeroshell and then you see her over here in the Bose tent and she's just everywhere and it's yeah. really hard to track you down. That's how I thought about you guys. Come on, really? <laughs> Let's bring it back. How did you even get into aviation? Was your family in it or did you just stumble upon this career? Like where did it start for you? I've been flying in small airplanes since the early 2000s. But as a kid, I always, I, I'm pretty sure at this point, like, that I, I, I know I can definitely fly myself. Like, if I really just tried to, you know, just jump off a side ledge and just, I no. But as a kid, I really did. I had this, like, dream of flight. And I, I would imagine myself always flying. Um, and so um, I actually have a, another interesting story for another day. But um, I started a program called From Sacrifice to Soaring uh, more recently. So right before COVID hit, a lot of people were, were saying, you know, you really tell your story. You should really have the opportunity to, to share the story so other people can come forward and maybe share their untold stories of how they got into aviation that maybe came from um, a, a, a childhood and a background that maybe not so positive. And the reason I say that is because we all have faced various adversities. We've all faced things in our childhoods that we may not speak about always so publicly, but because of those things, flying for me was my escape away from it. Flying was the the the, the activity that I could do to to rise above a lot of that uh, that that hurdle or that obstacle. So, in being able to share flight with people was the way to get others more comfortable with um, embracing themselves, finding themselves. Uh, how do you define yourself and, and where you want to go, even if you don't, if it's not being a pilot and flying an airplane. So I actually, um, my introduction to aviation, my cousin and my uncle flying for the Air Force. And they were really the only ones more ingrained into aviation uh, during my childhood. So my cousin is stationed in Hawaii now. We're very close and, and connect a lot about aviation and, and I get his advice on, on things. He actually flies uh, Air Force, high level Air Force officers and generals um, on the Gulf Street. So I'm very proud of him because he's, he's really pushed me to maintain my role in aviation, supporting aviation. So yeah, so first time I had a chance to, to kind of touch and see and feel 
aviation uh, in the sense of flying was the early 2000s um, when I was going to college. And I had to hide it from my parents because they did, they were not very supportive of me flying. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I had to work three jobs while in college uh, just to afford, you know, some training in Pennsylvania. So I was going to college at a non-aviation school, but on the back side of that line. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And then they finally found out later in life, but now they understand, you know, my passion for it and how yeah. it does actually serve and help other people. And that's what I'm doing with the From Sacrifice to Soaring program. What does that entail? So I have several industry partners on board. So there's Bose Aviation, Just Aircraft, Appfuel's been a big help. We have Cape Fear Aviation through my flight instructor, Elaine Humphrey, who's come forward. We actually do talk a lot about faith and flying, like women of their faith and in, in flying. These organizations that have known me for, for years, they've known that I've, uh, a lot of the times I've put my, um, my own dreams of flight aside to funnel dollars and support and service other people's dreams of flight. So one of those examples is um, I was given the opportunity to help a young woman from Afghanistan fly solo around the world. Really just instead of helping advise her, I actually fully ingrained myself into the program, end up leading the program and all of the volunteers involved. It kind of became my life. I actually left Embry-Riddle where I was working full time to launch this flight and to make sure that it, it was successful and to make sure she was successful. Uh, say, it was like a full-time job, but in a very pro bono <laughs> fashion. My life has been built on service and support and philanthropy. So a lot of times I, I'm one of those yes people where you need my help. Yes, I'll do it. And But in doing so, I tend to put my own training and, and my own uh, goals for, for flying aside. And then I have to come back to it. So, um, so this time with the From Sacrifice to Soaring, it was the industry coming and saying, Lindsay, now it's time that you focus on getting you done <laughs> so that you can continue to help people um, in a better form and in a flying format. So that's what this program is about. And we utilize the flying platform to help everyone other people tell their story or come forward about, um, you know, maybe what adversity they've they faced that has prevented them from finishing a career, finishing a degree, and how can we help them finish those those items in their life? I think that's super amazing. I, I feel like we all kind of fall into that. Like, we always are quick to help other people and give advice and do whatever we can to help others. But then, like, sometimes, like, I know for me, I definitely, like, like, oh, they need my help. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to do a scholarship for someone else instead of like raising money for my own funds or whatever. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, we've talked about that. Like, yeah, we've but that's talked part about that. of inspiring and empowering other women. And I, I get more gratification from that than I'll ever get from doing myself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. My pilot's license was the most proud moment of my entire life, but what I've been able to do since then has been more substantial and profound than that will ever be. I mean, it, it's yeah. people like you that make this world keep spinning, you know, it's just, I, I know a lot of people like ask me, I'm so busy and a lot of people are asking me, well, why are you so busy? It's like, well, I need to do this for this person and this for this person and this person, but and they're like, well, you don't have to do that. I'm like, well, no, I don't, but. But I'm trying I'm, to yeah. not do it. You know, I want to do it. Correct. Yeah. And I think that maybe you ladies would agree to this, but I, you know, we all mentor a lot of people, right? We're always mentoring young people. And I even mentor individuals that are, that are older than I am in a sense, because they're either kind of like returning back into their, into aviation or coming back to flight training um, at uh, a different, you know, a non-traditional age range. And what I always tell them is that uh, maybe you can agree here or not, is that I feel like aviation is a very unique industry in that we are connecting people in a different way. It is unique that we can we can have the 
uh, the format of flying and the, the, the freedoms of flying um, and the opportunity to get from point A to point B to get to these air shows to really connect. I mean, if you look right now where we're, obviously we were shut down for this year and, and there were not a lot of events is that the one industry that is starting to return events happens to be aviation. Yeah. We're connecting people constantly. As you can see, I'm wearing my commemorative Air Force shirt. Yes, I see that. <laughs> I was trying to decide what to put on. I'm looking through my closet. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I can wear this because I know she's done some things with them. So can you talk a little bit about what you did or what you've done with them and what's been really significant for you and, and your role with them. Sure, I actually have my commemorative Air Force hat, but it's in my closet. So yeah. <laughs> we do partner with the commemorative Air Force quite a bit. Um, so part of my job as a, you know, there's a principal consultant for my company, Fundab Consulting, is that we're, we're a team and there's there's several of us that help uh, and manage certain roles at, with different clients of ours. And one of those clients happens to be the D-Day Squadron. So our role, there's three of us that actually manage the day-to-day -day operations, marketing, media, fundraising. Um, we have a DC-3 society, so it's it's an established owner's group, but also aircraft operator, pilots, mechanics of the particular airframe, the DC-3. So of the DC-3 is a D-Day squadron. So the D-Day squadron then partners with the commemorative Air Force. So when we're doing any flyovers, commemorations, just like we're getting ready to celebrate the two-year anniversary, having returned these World War II uh, aircraft back to Normandy uh, two years ago for D-Day 75th. That's when we partner all together. So it's a very collaborative uh, organization. It's a very collaborative mission. So anytime we do a notable flight mission, um, we partner on our, our marketing, we partner on our press releases, we partner on the aircraft, because um, the CAF actually has, uh, they, they own and operate two of the DC-3s. That's all brother. That was discovered in um, in the weeds in a field and restored yeah. um, out of Oshkosh. And then we have D-Day Doll that's out of Riverside, California. So um, and then we've got, you know, 20 some other DC-3s that we work closely with or C-47 variants that we work closely with to do these various commemorations that led us back to Normandy two years ago. That must have been really cool. What's your favorite part of, of organizing events like that? The veterans. I get to work with some of the coolest veterans, and we were just in Xenia, Ohio uh, a few weekends ago commemorating uh, Jim Pee Wee Martin, who turned 100 years old. <laughs> still cool. living. This is, he's still opinionated, still living. So <laughs> yeah. Still, oh, he's awesome. He is just, you know, he has a lot to say, but it's really getting a chance to just sit down with him and the other, the last living Screaming Eagles, the Band of Brothers movie was, was created around um, and hearing their stories, it's just unimaginable what they went through, especially because they were only 19, 20, 21 years old, flying these airplanes, jumping from these airplanes behind mm -hmm. enemy lines. And so that's when I talk to young people when they want to complain today. I'm like, let me tell you a story. Let me talk to you about what the greatest generation did for you and why we yeah. need to keep maintaining that freedom and that spirit of paying honor and tribute to them because they gave up so much for what we have today. So that's yeah. my favorite. My favorite part is is honoring and paying tribute to those veterans. It seems that's, so oh. insane to me that these people were fighting wars, flying these aircraft, that they were 19 years old. Like, how many hours did they have before they were <laughs> flying them? And how, you know, and I, I always hear these veterans and things talking about, oh, well, when I was 19, I was paying 19 cents a gallon or, you know, 10 cents a gallon. <laughs> 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 and oh, yeah, to yeah. think that they had to make these decisions, like, 
there weren't cell phones. There were, they were in enemy fire. They were battling it out. Like this is just so crazy to me. And to be able to recover those aircraft and have those people, we are so lucky to still have that part of our aviation culture and, you know, and that's not going to be there forever. So we have to preserve that. They're yeah. dying off and, and and rapidly. And so the the every moment that the D-Day squadron and the Commandant Air Force gets to honor them, to work closely with them, to get to fly with them, to to take them flying. And some of them actually do fly our airplanes. They'll get in, they'll get in the cockpit with us, they'll second in command. Um, we actually had the last living Pathfinder pilot that flew into Normandy right after midnight on June 6, 1944, Dave Hamilton. So when we commemorated two years ago, we did the full reenactment of D-Day, and we actually put him in one of the DC-3s, one of the C-47s, and he got to fly it and cross the English Channel. That was the last time that he crossed that English Channel was 75 years prior. Wow. I can only imagine the grin on his face and the tears (laughs) flowing at the same time, just how, you know, unfathomable that moment. Remarkable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just interviewed uh, Kat Healy, actually. Yes! Yeah, she was our last. Yeah, she was talking a little bit about the event too. I really, really like her, and she's, um, I love, she's kind of got the same attitude you have. She really wants to keep, you know, honoring these veterans as long as possible. And that's, she was there in Xenia, and she was like, oh, this is just, it's just the greatest thing to be able to do this for these people, you know? I got lots of pictures of her. And then and the ADT uh, team, yeah. because they're, they're great. And to have, you know, there was a very unique event, I'm sure she she told you, is that we had five of the parachute teams there in, in groups there from ADT to Phantom to X-35, the Liberty Jump team um, to RCPT. And, and a lot of those and the Golden Knights were there, too. So they were all with us in Normandy. So it was really to, to have to unite again to do that in that way, in that manner for that type of celebration was very unique. So um, we were just happy to be a part of it and have three airplanes a part of it. You don't actually set these events up, correct? You just help organize it once it's set up. We do help organize it. This particular one, we, we sort of co-organize with W and our vets. So, uh, okay. yeah, so led by their team. And then um, we work closely with media marketing we we do a lot of this as, as just like co-branding co, co co-marketing co- all all collaborate yeah. so there are some events that we lead that we lead and facilitate there's some events that we co-collaborate on that yeah. are already being done and they bring us in to help um a lot of times a lot of the marketing because our our audience is global so we have a pretty steep global audience they really want to utilize that footprint to be able to market these events yeah. and so that's what we kind of offer but also because we're really the only established uh, community for DC-3s and honoring veterans uh, around yeah. World War II. Just more recently, uh, when we launched our DC-3 Society last year, we also launched what's called the Young Historians Program. So we have young historians ages 16 to 25 that are actively, my WhatsApp's, WhatsApp is going off right now because they're constantly communicating and talking, but they are young people that are actively uh, researching and documenting, interviewing surviving I veterans. I love that. Yes. Great writers. They're they're just ambitious. They're just it, they're amazing to work oh, with. That's a, I was gonna say, you know, when you you sit down and you talk to them and they tell their stories, I'm like, I hope someone is documenting these stories. Yes. You know? yeah. yeah. And speaking of cocktails, these veterans are a joy to be around over a drink. <laughs> <laughs> You get a beer in them, they start uh, singing Blood on the Risers with their cigars, and it is just something. It's hilarious. It's just something that, like, they don't get to talk about it probably in their everyday life. And to have people that are genuinely interested in 
hearing these stories. And I think it's great for them as well to be retelling these stories. It kind of gives them that like connection back to who they were, even at a hundred years old or amazing to be able to. A lot of pride and they, they can realize how, you know, what their impact was. And you know what I tell them, and I think, you know, we all, we all enjoy our, we all enjoy flying, right? We all enjoy the, the, the joy of general aviation and, and, and flying like we do. And so when I talk to them, I always say like, I'm thankful to you because, you know, that, that was a turning point for, for our world. Those yeah. were the too. When you look yeah. at what was, what, what went on and what went down is that if that could have gone another way, you know, the fight could have come to American soil, whatever the case may have been. And so when I look at the opportunity to fly, I, I do look at that as a as a very rare freedom in the sense of what they gave to us. I always thank them as like I fly today because you you gave that to us. You you've you provided these liberties and these freedoms, civil liberties and freedoms to us that, you know, may not have been here. Right. And so it, it's just so important when they hear that, they're like, you know, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> we yeah. can fight for you. <laughs> that's right. But do you have any competitors? I mean, when you're, do you have other companies like that you compete with for these events and you kind of bid on these things or how does that work? They just no, come to the one. We, yeah, we, we don't really, yeah, there's there's really no co- competition when it comes to wanting to or being able to honor and commemorate veterans. So usually what happens and how, so so I do help sometimes manage, you know, when it comes to the air show scene, like getting our airplanes there, working with the Warbird um, organizers, like EAA Warbirds and, you know, Sun and Fun and, and, and all of these great organizers and air show programs and, and the producers and the air bosses is, is really they'll come and say, hey, do you all want to be involved? How many airplanes can you provide? How many airplanes logistics can we get here? Here's our budget we're working within. Let's make this work. And that's that's literally how we operate. It's it's um, yes, some of our crews do attend ICAS. So and a lot of times they're 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 attending that because each one of our DC-3s are owned and operated individually. We don't own and operate these aircraft. We are the organization that that is the umbrella for them to get support for operational support, training, a structure. Right. And then we do cohesively work together to to have a presence at venture to have a presence at Sun and Fun, to have a presence and to memorialize veterans at different flyovers. And so usually we'll have industry that'll come and say, hey, we have a budget here. Okay. We have three or four DC-3s to yeah. help us with this commemoration. So similar. So last year we did two July 4th flyovers. So we worked with with POTUS's office. Then I worked with the DO, you know, the, um, the DOI, the DOJ, the DOD on how that was going to locate four airplanes that did the National Mall. Um, POTUS wanted four airplanes as part of the World War II emphasis on July 4th. And then we also, at the same time, I had to fly to Truckee Tahoe and um, help fly one of the airplanes, as, as Alyssa knows, Brandon. We had six airplanes that were supported to do the Truckee Tahoe flyover the very same day. So we had 10 of our airplanes doing July 4th commemorative flyovers in a day. The ICAS was a good thing that, that you brought up because a lot of people don't know what that is. And what the purpose of that event is. Can you explain that? Yeah, so ICAS is the organization that predominantly focuses on, on everything air shows. So you wanna if if you if you're an air show performer, you're an air show act, uh, you are you know, the warbird community, so to speak, that does even just flyover commemorations in partnership with some of these uh, performances. It's everything entertainment, right, around you know, the air show circuit. So what 
what performers do or what we do is we attend, whether we have a booth or we attend um, the ICAST conference, which usually takes place in Las Vegas every year. And that conference is where a lot of the performances are scheduled. That's where you meet with the producers, the air bosses, the organizers, and you're really setting up the schedule for what the air show season is going to look like for you. My company, we actually manage and support, and um, we actually work with some air show, air show talent and, and air show programs. So we've got folks on the team that have had years of, of experience working with those. And it's really, how do you set the schedule? Does it work within the budget? Um, these air show, uh, these particular air shows will you know, hire the, the, the performers based upon what that, that sponsorship or budget looks like. So it's just, it's a neat conference to, to obviously unite to the industry. You're bringing all the, bringing all the air show people together. I hate coming together. What? We hate coming together. Might yeah. be a gala. There's some cocktails. But at the end of the day, it's it's bringing people together to to get the schedule done. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what it is. Some people already know some of their schedule ahead of time. They've already set their meetings up. But usually right after that show is when we start dispersing the schedule yeah. for the air show season that starts in March of each year. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. I went one time because I was helping mm-hmm. a performer and I had no idea how air shows worked and basically i mean it is like a big hall in the hotel or whatever and they're just lined up kind of like uh any convention and the acts are kind of in the in the booth um trying to basically sell their act to someone that books air shows and they have what their rates are and pretty much try to negotiate and figure out if it can work out and i was like huh this is how they do that. I don't, I don't think did it not happen last year, no, but the, year prior, the mm-hmm. year prior, I remember seeing like Nathan Hammond and some of these guys that have like cookies made for their booths. And I'm like, uh, hello, why was I not invited? Like, right. <laughs> so I, I, I was like, I have to make it there sometime and see how this all goes down because to have that many amazing shows or people there at one time, like just to connect, I think is really interesting and cool. And and you have quite the range. I mean, you have some people that are just starting out, you know, that just want to be in the air show. And then yeah. you have the Blue Angels coming and they're like, this is our schedule or, you know, and that it's just, there's quite a range. People you've heard of, people you yeah. really haven't, but they really want to get in there and start performing. So it's pretty cool. But I'm trying to encourage more uh, women to do aerobatics and upset recovery and, and, and to really train for this because if you look at the Patty Wagstaffs and, and you know, Julie Clark and having retired is that we don't have a lot of women on the air show circuit anymore. 10 years from now, it's gonna be, it's gonna look a little different soon. So, you yeah. know, with more retiring. So it's gonna be, you know, there's a few women that are out there doing some aerobatic training that I think are looking to the future of, of one of them I actually mentor. So I keep encouraging her, yeah, if this is something you want to do, you could do on the side, you could do have an air show program. It would just be good to see more because when you look at the reason we do air shows, other than you know having an event, but the reason we, we have these air shows, the reason the Blue Angels fly, the reason the, the Thunderbirds fly is to promote aviation. It's to encourage people to to understand what we do and why we do it. Yes, great to show off your talent and entertain people, which is a big reason, but it is to get people excited about aviation. When I was working in riddle we did a wings and waves air show every other year and it was to enroll students into the school it was that predominant focus was to was to promote and 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 to push um, right. you know, the education of Embry-Riddle and to expose them to to this great industry. So we just don't have a lot of women. So it'd be nice to get yeah. some more women. And ICAS, uh, which is the International Council of Air Shows, does have, they have scholarships as well as all the other alphabet organizations. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I think it's really awesome. And I'd love to see more women in aerobatics. Um, I don't think I'm probably going to be the one stepping up to do it quite yet, but um, Come I, I, on, think, Pye, Alyssa. I love aerobatics, but for like 10 minutes, um, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be like, Oh, there she go. She gone. She good. I think, you know, I got my pilot's license. I didn't, I had never been around other pilots. I didn't know other pilots. I went to my first air show, which was Sun and Fun 2018 was my first air show of my life. And I sat there and I cried like a little girl just watching this. Cause I'm like, I, I just want to fly straight and level. Like, what are they doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. this is amazing. And to do it. And I remember seeing, I don't know if it was like Skip Stewart or somebody in like a pit or something very snappy, which I hadn't seen. Like I had seen the T6s and like, you know, formation, but I had not seen like these crazy maneuvers. And I'm like, I don't even know how that's done. Yeah. How do you not die? Like, I just don't understand. How do you stay in the box? <laughs> right. That's a real question of mine. We were training in the box in Vegas with Taz. And I'm like, what box? Like, I, I imagine your box, but like, what do you mean I have to maneuver inside of it? And then like yes. seeing your papers that like spell it out. And then they're like, yeah. you know, flying yeah. it. And I'm like, what does yeah. that even mean? So I actually just recently have talked to some people and I'm like, hey, I want you to take me to a, a competition and I want to see how it goes from A to A to Z. Maybe, maybe that'll be like my in of figuring <laughs> out like I can actually do this because yeah. there's a difference in flying the airplane aerobatic, watching what the airplane's doing aerobatic, and then like making it all happen simultaneously. Yeah. Do you ever watch performers? Ken, Ken does this too with Redline Air Shows, um, Ken Reader. And what they do or what he's done, I've seen him with John. Rest in peace, John, his his uh, partner, pilot. Yeah. So what they what they would do at shows is they would actually stand on stand obviously off the tarmac and they would literally do their entire act on the ground and they would just be doing this and it's and I, I actually just get them a video of them just literally doing oh, their act in the box cool. on the ground together and it was just this exactly. is so cute. It, yeah. It is, but it's so it's so like smart because you're visualizing what's happening because smart. like in it you're not going to yeah. be able to make it up by yourself maybe you can especially you know performing an air show together it just brings that whole new level and i just think about like what if something fails like what is there out what is you know mm -hmm. just being a pilot changes your mind like people can go and watch an air show but to know what goes in behind it like you oh, know absolutely. going to the expos to get hired to get there like i didn't realize you know, I just always thought like, oh, they flew their own planes in. Well, I didn't realize they have ferry pilots sometimes. I'm like, hello, yes. I'm waiting. That saves the time for the talent. When I managed, I was helping with um the Matt Chapman air shows when uh, Embry Riddle, so Embry Riddle sponsored aerobatic pilot Matt Chapman. Formerly, he he actually retired since. Yeah, we would have pilots ferry his airplane. Uh, dedicated pilots on the insurance that would ferry that aircraft, knew that aircraft well, that extra 330. It, it saved Matt time. I mean, Matt is an airline pilot, you know, full-time yeah. airline pilot from an airline. So outside, outside of his air show schedule, you know, that helps to save them time. There's not yeah. the stress on top of performing and doing a show and being exhausted of flying IFR in these yeah. 
you know, most of these aircraft, I, I was thinking about it actually flying the T6 with Aeroshell when yeah. we went, that they had like an L3 in their plane. And I was like, you know, I never even thought about like, what if they get stuck in instrument conditions, you know, yeah. like, and see, like, how do they get these planes there? Even if it's clear skies in Florida, it's not in Georgia, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, they're doing a lot of overnighting. <laughs> A lot of the commemorative Air Force airplanes are not IFR, VFR only, and that's that's it. And so many of those pilots are volunteers. I, mean, I guess they all are. I don't really know if any of them get paid. They're but all volunteers, yeah. They got to have a lot of time. You never know if you're flying the plane however many thousand miles somewhere. That could be a really long time-consuming trip. It can. That's another thing that's very commendable about the efforts we do as Commemorative Air Force D-Day Squadron is that it's majority all volunteers that fly these aircraft, maintain the aircraft, and, and to even get in to be able to fly them, um, there's a lot of work you have to do yeah. before you can even really touch the aircraft, or, or, or so to speak, or or have that opportunity to, to, to play ball, as we as we say in the, in, in the Warburg community. And the reason for that, people must think, oh, you so you really got to put a lot, a lot down to do that. I'm like, but you have to build trust. You're flying some incredible unique rare aircraft that had once saw combat and no way we're gonna just let random people just get a hold of these airplanes i mean you really i mean considering all the things that have happened with aircraft incidents and accidents be very cautious the people that you allow fly and operate these aircraft so it's it's being a part of it is like we have, you have to get people ingrained into it help clean the airplane help fuel the airplane help before you can really do some of the other nut and gritty stuff is because you want to build trust you need to build the integrity with the organization because like commemorative air force they're all uh, you know like chapters right so yeah. chapters that own and operate certain aircraft and then there's commemorative air force headquarters um or the wings i guess i should say the, the, the commemorative air force wings and so each one have their own you know sort of set of headquarters standard and then there's like their set of criteria of what it takes to, to really operate maintain work with those airplanes back to the airbags because we had talked mm -hmm. a little bit before about um oh i'd love to fly t6 and the air shows and be like aerobatic pilot and i think only more recently have i thought okay it's a lot of work for me to plan a cross-country trip straight <laughs> level <laughs> <laughs> and i think you gotta really put a lot of time into being an aerobatic pilot practicing yeah. and and you know that's kind of got to be your life if you're going to be really good at it constantly Staying know, proficient. Staying proficient and knowing your aircraft is having mm -hmm. everything so perfect. Like you it can't mess around. You've got to be on top of it, your A game all the time. That's why they go through training. I mean, it's more, it's, it's a recurrent training as well. It's, it's even like flying, like we do a lot of formation flying. So some of our, some of our pilots are, um, have obviously they're aerobatic qualified. So they have all the, 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 the documentation from ICAS on that because they'll fly T6s, they'll fly some other um, performances. But for the DC-3 pilots too, they, they have what's called the fast card, that formation card, so that they can fly in very tight formation, just had they done 77, 77 years ago. And when you look at those 19-year-olds flying these DC-3s in Normandy, I mean, like tail to tip, it's just ridiculous how close yeah. they, it, it's crazy how close we get now, but I mean, they're just so qualified um, to be able to, 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 that's a maneuver in of itself, is the formation. So yeah. it's one thing to be able to, and then you look at, you know, as, as Alyssa and I, when we were flying with Aeroshell, when you look at that performance, I mean, they are tight in formation yeah. doing those roles. Like, we're like roles. both foot from each other. Uh, right. It's scary. Like one bump yeah. and we're going to hit. Like, yeah. Right. So that's why they have, um, so in, on an annual basis, sometimes it's even a few times a year, they have what's called formation clinics. And so a lot of aerobatic performers, talent on the airshow circuit, and those that fly formation go to those performance, go to those, go to the training for that purpose. Keep 
current that's so important because I mean, that you're saving your life and everybody else's. Totally. My uncle flew some formation flying and the people, you know, everybody wants to do it. It sounds cool. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want to do that. And they were very selective with who could fly formation. They had to practice a certain amount of time, you know, and it was just like, you can't do it. You know, you're, you just haven't practiced enough. If you, it's too risky. It really can be. That is, if you're, if you're not qualified, if you're not credentialed, you should not mess around with this. <laughs> you do a couple times a year and be like, oh, I'm ready to do this now, you know? Mm -hmm. For me and like uh, my club planes and things, there's always like, hey, let's fly to lunch and we'll kind of like fly together. But I'm like, you're good. Like 3,000 feet away from me. Like, stay over there. <laughs> You know, like, I'm going to do a break now because I don't feel comfortable. Yeah. It's just so funny to think like how close they are and how uncomfortable yeah. I am. And I've done a little bit of training just because to get me a little bit more comfortable. But yeah, it's just yeah. insane. Like all these people train so hard to be able to mm -hmm. do these things yeah. for shows yeah. and things for us. And I them all together. You're so reliant on each one of them to do what they're supposed to be doing and staying on top oh, yeah. of the game. One of yeah, them screws up is bad. So much trust. It, it, it's, it's amazing how much trust you have to have with it. We were flying those airplanes with 23 of them when we were flying across the English Channel. But then, it, so it's one thing to to fly the aircraft and, and, and have to worry about maneuverability for our aircraft, in particular, the DC-3, C-47 troop carriers. So these are the ones that are outfitted for the static line that drop paratroopers in Normandy. We're not just in formation. We're now in formation, and then we're dropping paratroopers. <laughs> I know pictures, and I was uh, how do they not just, like, mow people over? Like, like the same level, and then they're dropping. So, like, but I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, Lord. Yes. That's oh, exactly what I was thinking when we were talking to Kat. Like, y'all are crazy. <laughs> to marry people on our airplanes as well I, I saw that and I was like okay that's pretty amazing um, I've always the like Ford tri-motors at Oshkosh and they'll like marry somebody and like do a lap pattern or whatever and I'm just like okay I love airplanes but I'm probably not gonna go that far I've officially done a wedding in eight at 8,000 feet in a C-47 at this point so like yeah that was that was a lot of last minute thing that comes up at events is hey wow. Lindsay we need to go to film that wedding you guys are gonna do in your airplane I'm like what what wedding what? do we have in our airplane? Oh, yeah, just got scheduled. Um, you're marrying a paratrooper, a U.S. Army Airborne, and his wife. That's that. So while well, well, they're all going to drop skydivers. So, okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Bounce. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> we talked a little bit about, like, mentoring and things. And I know you're involved with NBAA and maybe, you know, 40 under 40. What would you say is, like, the best thing for somebody, like, to get into your role or to get into aviation at all, like where do you find mentors? Um, I know we've talked a little bit about it, but I mean, I think that's what we try to do with this podcast is just help people find those outlets and find those mentors in what they're looking for in aviation. It's a job between both parties. So I, I look at mentorship as it's, de it's a definitely a two-way street and you have to find a mentor that's going to be dedicated to want to communicate with you because there are people that just like to say they're a mentor, but then there's those that are a mentor and are actively mentoring their mentees where they're having ongoing conversation, ongoing uh, dialogue about where they are. So I require from all my mentees, they have to complete what's called a fl their flight path. And that flight path is a document where they tell me what their goal is, whether it be in aviation or whatever particular role that they have in aviation. Some of them are 
you know, one to five years out of their college degree. Some are still in college coming into to aviation. They're not all just business and corporate aviation. They're all different parts. But I always warn them, I'm like, well, if you're going to work with me, I'm going to make you work. And, and the work is not for my health. It's for their success. And I always tell mentees, I cannot want your success more than you. You're going to have to work for it. People coming into this industry, if you really want to do well, you have to be ambitious. You have to have the desire and you have to have the passion. If you're coming in this industry to make a lot of money, you're in the wrong industry. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is not an industry where you want to make the millions of dollars. You can't. There are people that do that, but but you have to want it bad enough to um, to really fight for it because it there are tense moments. There there it can get hard. It gets challenging. We all have adversity and obstacles. But the, I will say that my mentors today have are, are those individuals that ha that were had my back, helped me to get from point A to point B, helped me through struggles, helped me to navigate this flight that we call you know our, our journey in aviation. I take it very seriously. I I'm, I'm not just some desk mentor. I, I actively participate. Even with Sun and Fun, um, I invited some of my mentees to Sun and Fun. I provided them some entry tickets to make sure that they can, they had entry, didn't have to pay for it. I'll make sure some of them were provided passes for MBAA uh, and base in Las Vegas. So it's just how, how, what, what, how can I use, you know, my influence and my abilities to provide resources to them or some resources to them so that they can be in front of people, they can network, they can be successful. And the one thing I definitely don't do is give handouts. I don't think giving somebody everything will teach them anything. Sort of have a rule of thumb is that I make them put up their the skin in the game as well. If I'm going to help you, you got to put some skin in the game in this because I think as we've all seen in our current society today, if you just give people handouts, they just want more. You give people more handouts, they just want more. And we're not teaching our young people anything by doing that. You have to have skin in the game. You've got to want it bad enough. So I, I think that's what's that what is what real mentorship is. And if you're looking for a mentor, look for one who's actually going to to, to be there and, and yeah. to keep you ambitious and keep you motivated. I'm thinking like, I know how I have, I have a 21 year old son. I have a 19 year old son, a 16 year old son. I know how these kids are so different than when I grew up, what it's like. One of the things I think that they struggle with is actually communicating Face to face with people. They're so used to technical interaction. I've got to go meet them. I've got to like talk to them face to face. I would think that would be something that maybe you're facing with with some of some of the kids coming around of college, trying to teach them how to actually talk to people. You know, it's such a networking community that you really have to know how to do that. You know how they talk. This is how they talk. do all the cool things that you do and I'm like well I don't even know how to tell you to get here I just you have to put the work in and you have to make these connections you know, put yourself in a place to be in front of these people yeah, you really have to put yourself out there and, and it's hard I'm yeah. you know and I struggle with it you know I when I, I called Lindsay on some things and I was like I, I don't know what to do and I'm I'm the person that like oh like I'm not good enough. So I'm like, I'm just going to back out slowly, you know, and it's, or I'm not ready for this. And I think, I think you have to have that, like, 
somebody to just push you through it and be like, you got this. Fake it till you make it. Having those mentors, I think, have really pushed me to get me out of that little box. Know your value, know your worth. When you're into something, it's a whole lot easier to put yourself out there because you want it so bad. That is true. I always tell my mentees, it's okay to make small investments. Like if I always tell them, make sure you have membership with NBAA, AOPA, EAA, WAA, all of these groups, because all these groups, one, that's your network, building your network. Yeah. Two, it's a very small investment for a much larger return. I can attest to it. We all can sit here and attest to that. But they all. here by yourself why not yourself in this group that you know and for the most part most everybody in aviation wants to see you succeed and wants to push you further they're Mm -hmm. not like oh you're just a private pilot you just stay right over there like we like (laughs) we all want to help each other take advantage of that don't ask for a handout go after it just go for it yeah you're not you're gonna miss a lot of opportunities if you're not involved in those organizations you won't ever hear about it you know you won't ever know anything about it or know the right people and the biggest thing i always tell them is and don't forget because it says a lot about your character is show up just show up if you can get to the conference if you can get to that air show if you can get in front of that that company just show up i always tell my mentees i'm happy to put you in contact with my big network out there and i do have a very vast network but i built it over 20 years yeah i will never introduce you to someone if you don't follow through and you show up because these executives aren't messing around you don't show up they're not going to help you and work with you message or sending an email is not going to get through to somebody SOS tend to be like, Lindsay, I'm here and I am going up. (laughs) I've met so many people through aviation that you can tell almost immediately whether they are wanting a handout or if they're willing to work for what they want in aviation. I've kind of weeded through that now to help people that are sincere about pursuing something and not just everybody looking for something for the college graduates out there that we mentor we support um and i and i've said this to a lot of college graduates of embry riddle is that there was this there's been this mentality that some universities because of their reputation well i have an embry riddle degree or i i have a penn state degree i, I should earn this seventy five thousand dollars starting salary and 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 i'm not going to take anything less well that mentality is not going to get you many places yeah. and and these recruiters and these companies already know that mentality it's called the entitlement mentality they're yeah. not going to hire you. you're not going to get hired into any role when you have when you come we've had I've known students that have walked into interviews and I've had the company call me after saying, you're not going to believe what, what we, what, what happened in the interview is that they were demanding a big salary just because they have a degree from this institution. And, and, and they would call us upset about this so that we can then help to address yeah. the situation yeah. so, with, all, with all these students, right? It's coaching. And so if anybody's listening to this podcast and you're a college you know, graduate and you're coming in this industry and you come from one of those great schools, that's great. But that's not going to just give you a big salary coming out of college. you got to earn your way. We've all had to start from the bottom and move up. You have to earn your way. I have a successful career doing hair. I own a salon, all of that. I had to work from making nothing 
to building that over 13 years. A little bit of reality hit this year when I was like, I'm going to be in aviation and I'm going to take this job. And and when they sent me a joke of an income, I was like, Lindsay, you will not believe this. <laughs> and I think Lindsay kind of talked me off of my like pedestal up here. <laughs> but like, honestly, it's a different, it's a totally different kind of tiered thing that yeah. I'm used to. I've been self-employed. But at the same time, like, I think it made me realize, like, not, you just don't walk into something and own it. Like, yes, there is value and you have to know your value and yes. worth and what you're bringing. But at the same time, like, you don't just get handed everything. And I mean, that was a great lesson for me this year. Something will work out and and everybody just has to keep pushing to that next best mm-hmm. thing. I'm not over here like, oh, they didn't want to give me any money. <laughs> like, I've got to work harder. I've got to do more. I have to invest in myself. And and I think we all look for other people that are like-minded in that. And so that's when we want to help people or mentor them or be able to ha- put them in connection with the right people. Yeah. And you have to go for a job that does fit because not every job works for every yeah. right. the same person, right? So it's not a one size fits all in our industry is what works for one may not be the personality or the fit right. for others. I know with like our part 91 operators, so I work with about 75 flight departments, part 91. When we look at talent and we like recruiting the talent in these, these, these large fortune 50 or fortune 500 companies is they're not just looking for flight hours. They're looking for your personality, they're looking for your character. Obviously, what else can you bring to the table? What's that integrity? So I would say one of one of my mentees is a perfect example of this um, that that I've known for for some years now is Kim Kish, who has done the social media for women in corporate aviation over over the course of the year. She also was on our dream team for helping with the flight around the world, Dream Soar. So I watched her grow and grow over the years, and then. I'm up with my flight instructor in Connecticut one night and I knew she was interviewing. I knew that I knew she was looking for another opportunity. Um, she was working for uh, Tellwind and at a White Plains in New York. And she called, she goes, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. I got the job. And she got hired with Abvi out of Chicago flying the G650, having gone, went from Embry-Riddle 172s to the TBM with Tellwind. And, and, and mind you, her flight hours didn't reflect what they were looking for, but it was her it was just what she else she brought to the table. Yeah. And so when 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 pilots come to me and say, I really want to get hired by this part one night operator, but I don't have the flight hours. It's like, well, don't let that hold you back. Right. You can still apply. You can still put yourself out there. You're not going right. to be, not like you're coming and demanding the job, but at least put your name out there. Put your name in the hat in, in that sense, because it may be your personality. It may be what else you're bringing to the table that they're going to, to hire you for yeah. or consider you for. And I if think, they don't consider you now, they could, they could be, you know, we'll right. think about her for the next yeah. round. Right? Yeah. I think there's this like, you know, chart of, you know, here's your your flight hours and here's your personality and what you else you bring to the table. And, you know, it kind of evens out when I stress, like when I'm, I'm doing scholarships and things to like, I look at people's social media, like, are they positive? What are they posting? What are they doing? You know, like, what are they doing in aviation besides flying to get hours? Like, are they involved? You know, so it's like, I think about that too. It's like, oh, yeah. I only have 300 hours. If I work towards getting more and kept working on my marketing or keep working on whatever, something's going to eventually hit 
and yeah. be exactly what fits my life. And yeah. you just got to keep that goal in mind. Yes. I mean, set your goals high and know that there's a, there's a role out there for everybody in our industry. And and that's important because you can, you can use, you can use time building, you can build time with a part 135 operator. You, you, I mean, there's so many different operations out there that give you the benefit of building time. You're growing with them. You're growing yourself. And then, so if your, if your end goal is that, big partner one operator or to fly for an entertainer or whatever that is to fly for at that level with those those the bigger equipment um you'll get there because you're 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 just building your flight path towards yeah. towards that position so it's not just the fly hours it's just all this other stuff mm-hmm. sure you're growing just personally and and all this other stuff too yeah with kim's story it was a lot of the networking of women in corporate aviation that helped her to get in the door at that at, at, at that operator mm-hmm. so you know it was an introduction that was made and that's what i helped do is try to make the introductions i it's the you can lead a horse to water you can't make them drink i will give you that introduction like i said before you got to follow up and you got to take it from there that yeah. is all on you after that <laughs> yeah. yeah just keep going <laughs> For yourself, like I know you've done some flight training and you're kind of doing that with the sacrifice to soaring stuff, but like, where are you at? Where do you see yourself going? Like, are you grooming yourself uh, to do something different? Yes. What What is your goal? With my company, we, we tend to have to get to the point A to point B in a certain amount of time. And I, I would say that the pandemic has taught me a lot about how I really don't want to continue flying commercial aviation as much (laughs) if I can help it, if I can help it. But also because, because of the aircraft that we do fly, we fly them into the shows. We fly them to these events. I eventually want to get typed in the DC three. And then we have the opportunity to also return the aircraft back to Normandy at some point. So my next goal is to be able to crew the aircraft and fly the aircraft over the Northern Atlantic and the original blue spruce route that was once flown by our veterans of the greatest generation. I also love tailwheel flying. So actually, um, when I started back to my training, I actually started back in a Cessna 175 tailwheel. And it's just something to be said about that type of flying. It makes you a great proficient pilot. Um, if you can, if anybody's listening and, and you're currently on tricycle gear, which I fly tricycle too, the learning curve of, of tailwheel is just something else. Even when I've had, even when I went back to tricycle, I was doing, I was doing a lot more right rudder. <laughs> <laughs> than I normally would need to. I well, will admit I'm, that. I will admit I'm taxiing. That. I'm like doing this. <laughs> I'm like, why are you Melissa? You don't need that much input, okay? Yes. Fun. It's a great way to. It's a great way to fly. So yeah. So we. Um, the company actually has a plan to eventually purchase a small aircraft um, in the future. So we're currently uh, talking to an aircraft broker on that opportunity, who's also part of our team. That is something that's that's in the in the works and utilizing that aircraft to get to the point A to point B or get to a client. We tend to do some long road trips, and that gets that gets mentally exhausting. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so it'd be nice to you. We want to utilize. We want to support general aviation uh, further. Some days a discussion I had with King Schools. King Schools is also a support to from sacrifice to soaring. But we need to keep promoting and, and, and moving and growing general and business aviation. Where are you based? I'm out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Aviation is ramping back up. Thing general aviation. You know, I'm I'm really excited for this year. I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed with having been so like slow last year and like kind of revamping everything. But then like this year I feel like is on cocaine and we're (laughs) all like everywhere again. And I'm like, okay, Alyssa, focus, 
focus. Um, what is something that you think it has been better in the last year for change or in the future of aviation or something that needs to be changed either? That kindness yeah. is a two-way street. Absolutely. And that with everything that's been going on lately, I will say a lot of a lot of my close friends know where my mind is right now and um, and why I have been really pushing to stay in the air and to really celebrate our freedoms. Understanding that oh, we all may be different in how we think or where our mind is on certain current world events, it is a two-way, two-way street and we need to be more mindful of one another and we need to have healthy conversations rather than debating one another. But that's something that I saw over this last year was I minored in human psychology and the change of human behavior was something that I saw this year, and, and uh, at one point I put my head in my hands just doing that, and then when I realized, you know, Natalie, when you talk about what's one of the, my favorite things that I like to do, and the reason I like to work with our veterans is because I like to celebrate our freedoms as well, and uh, I would like us to continue to do that as a nation, but also as people, and celebrating each other's freedoms and how we see our freedoms, and, and making sure that we're having healthy conversation, but being kind about those conversations, right? No matter what side we're on or what, or where our mind is or, or how we're handling a certain situation, it's just kindness is free. And for those that can give a little more, there's a lot of organizations out there. There's a, there's a lot of entities that really hurt in this pandemic. Um, I work with a lot of nonprofit. I did a, a ton of pro bono work this past year just to help organizations shift and pivot in how to diversify their revenue streams and their income and donor revenue and how to do things a little different during these unprecedented times. Just pick up the phone and call people. Pick up the phone and thank people. Show gratitude. Show humanity. <laughs> Writing down my gratitudes every morning. And it just puts me in like a better mindset. Even though this year was so hard, I think for so many people, it's actually made me a better person just because I'm like, I have so much to be thankful for. Like, why am I complaining? Like, why? Mm -hmm. I like, but it's that mindset that if we take it there, it's going to lead us down this dark alley where if we have this mindset, like, and helping other people, I think is something that really makes me happy is being able to give back and help people. And I might not have a penny to my name at the end of the week, but I feel good. You know, I actually heard, I know I, we should end soon, but I heard a, a thing on a, is there a study on, I heard on the radio that during the past year they had surveyed people and most people felt that this past year affected them negatively. And mm -hmm. I was like, I hate to hear that because I feel like it, if, like I had, I learned so much about myself and really changed my perspective on what's really important to me. I felt like it was, yeah, it was challenging, sure. but I feel like in the end I came out with, a, with my values a little more in line and me figuring mm -hmm. out exactly what I need to be spending my time doing. I think, think I benefited from it in many mm -hmm. ways that I wouldn't have if, if it hadn't happened. I would hope that people would take negative experiences and try, and it's so much of a mindset thing, yes. to turn it into constantly, you know, looking for the positives and using using those times and challenges to, to better yourself and mm -hmm. to think of things in a different way, a more positive one. I agree. I agree. It's, it's really, it's a shifting, shifting and pivoting your mindset. Absolutely. agree, Natalie. And you're and, in control. Uh, you're in control of yeah. you go down that dark path and you start that ball rolling of negativity. It's just going to build. Spiral. Yeah.
Yes. <laughs> Mine was more of a roller coaster, maybe um, a little hand flying in the parking lot event. <laughs> you were doing your own air show over there. <laughs> I'm really weird. Just get used to it. Two last questions, and then we'll ha- let you have your night free. If you could have any airplane, not a DC-3, but if you could have any airplane, what would it be? Oh, man, you just took the one airplane away from me. <laughs> My favorite is the Falcon 7X. Question two. If you could have any cocktail, what would it be? Moscow Mule. Ending on that note, my glass is empty. This has been a great episode, but I think uh, the kitchen is calling. Jet fuel only. I have coffee. (laughs) Oh, yes. It's like a a nice balance going from like coffee to drinks. It depends on the day what time that switches over, but. Totally. (laughs) I mean, if we're working from home. Who's to say glass of wine doesn't happen a little earlier? We might be more productive. That's all right. Thank you so, so, so much. And this has been a great episode of Cockpits and Cocktails. Let our guests know where they can find you. Lindsay, right? <laughs> it's your air show name. Instagram personal account is Costabil Travel. I have my website. It's fundadconsulting.com. That's F-U-N-D-A-V consulting.com. Facebook, I'm on, all, I'm on it all. I have to be on it all because I, I have to work on it all. I am on, I am on the platform. We hope the best year for you yet. We will be seeing you soon, hopefully. That's right. Love it, ladies. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>